My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to be able to uh, open God's Word with you this morning. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about um, my response to the circumstances in life sometimes. You know, yesterday, um, was it yesterday? No, it must have been a couple of days ago. I was at the, at, uh, in town and pulled up to a larger grocery store, larger parking lot. And, um, uh, you know, one, like the front uh, available spot, maybe next to handicap came open. And I was like, yes, you know, how often does this happen? You get the front spot, you know, but often uh, we don't, or you think you're gonna and somebody zips right in front of you. You ever had that happen? Yeah. I'm not so joyful in that moment. I'm not like, yes, they stole my spot, right? As though my name is painted in front of it. It's mine. Sometimes when the circumstances of life happen, um, what we're thinking in our heart, or really all the time, what we're thinking in our heart comes out through our words. And the, and the Apostle Paul has words for us about that this morning. What about when, when your parents, kids, what about when your parents tell you something to do? Are your words always like, yes, thank you, mom. I'd love to do the dishes. I'd love to mow the lawn or help weed eat. Or I'd love to go wash my hands for dinner, right? Kids, how many of you get really excited when your mom or your grandparents tell you something to do? Yep, I didn't see any hands go up. That's truth. That's truth. Or when you're offended by someone, how quickly we justify whatever response is culturally acceptable. Meaning, if you're around people that tend to use foul language and the language slips, well, we justify it. Well, they said this to me. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're, you're used to being around a crowd where uh, what we would consider, um, you know, cursing is not appropriate, right? It doesn't change whether or not it is. It should be clear. But, uh, but other kinds of responses we seem to justify as, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's an okay response because did you see what they did to me? To help justify uh, our own responses to the, these things. What about things that you share on social media, the way that you respond to something, you know, just because we're typing it out or hitting the share button uh, and posting it on our timeline or on your story or fill in any of the number of social media outlets, uh, if we're sharing it, it, it's as good as you speaking it. You're conveying the idea, you're supporting the idea. And so how do we speak. Well, the Apostle Paul has a lot to tell us about this uh, as it relates to living in the school of Christ, right? He's talking about the fact that, that, that we are increasingly to live according to the pattern that we see, um, uh, the pattern through which we become Christians, because God's grace uh, is given to us in the first place through the process we would know as repentance and belief and faith. Right? We understand that we're sinners. We understand that we can't work our way. We can't climb the ladder to heaven. We can't do any, enough good works to outweigh any of the bad, the evil, the sin that we have done. One sin, God says, separates us from God. And therefore, we need somebody to make it right for us. And that's what Jesus did. And when we hear that message and we're pricked in our heart and we're grieved, we say, I don't want to live this way. And we believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus came for sinners, among whom I'm the worst, which is what Paul said. And I agree in my own heart about my own sin. And that's the process Paul talks about in a passage we'll read in a few minutes called putting off the flesh, being renewed in the, in the spirit of our minds and putting on the spirit or putting on the new life, putting on the, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Think of it just like, you know, you're changing your clothes and you launder them and you put on new clothes. 
It's the same general principle. We don't ever walk away from the principles that brought us to the Lord in the first place. Now, we're not repeatedly praying for salvation. We're not getting saved over and over and over again, right? Once we're saved, uh, as, as we'll see in a few minutes here, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's given as a guarantee of our future inheritance in glory. But what we do is we revisit the same principles, We recognize that our sin grieves God's heart, so we put it off. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, and then we put on the new self, which we have available to us. So let's read together in Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. We'll put some of the verses on the screen for you today, um, or a a Bible app with you. I read from the English Standard Version, so um, we have that on the screen if yours is a different translation. But still, if you have your Bible, keep it open and and looking at the the surrounding words in the context here. We're going to read verses 20 through uh, 30. Uh, this morning. And Paul says, but that's not the way you learned Christ, right? He's just finished saying, why are we living this way? We we haven't learned Christ to live in that way, verse 21, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want to pause for a minute and just say, uh, he's talking to a group of individuals who have made a profession of faith. They're saying, I'm part of the church. I'm following Jesus. There's a challenge as we look at uh, anything that relates to our behavior. If you're not a Christian, okay, and, I, and don't, don't misunderstand I don't mean if if you have gone to church for a long time, that equals you being a Christian, because it doesn't. If you haven't repented or turned away from the reality that you are in desperate need of a Savior. Admitted that, accepted that, basically just agreeing with God about what He says about us. And we're grieved in our heart, and we repent And we say, Lord, I believe that you sent your perfect only son to die on the cross for my sins. And I want to follow you. The Bible says that when that's a genuine profession of faith, we're made right with the Lord immediately right then and there. But if you're not, if you haven't made that profession of faith before, and you hear me talk about putting off a behavior and being transformed and putting on a new behavior, that transformation is key. It's key for salvation, and it's key for an ongoing renewal of who we are as God's people. So it's not simply, don't hear this morning, because you're going to hear a lot about behavior, because he's talking about what flows out of our heart is, is seen through our words. So uh, I just want to be real crystal clear. If, if you're in a place and you have not trusted Christ for your, uh, as your Savior, it's don't hear this morning that you just need to Stop doing this and start doing that. Stop doing this and start doing that. And that will make God happy with you and therefore accept you. We are accepted because Jesus Christ, like a substitute teacher in school, the real teacher is gone. I shouldn't say real. (laughs) The uh, full-time teacher is gone. And the substitute teacher steps into her place or his place. Jesus is the substitute who took all of the sin penalty that we deserve on himself. And because of Christ and Christ alone, we're able to cry out in faith, Lord, take my life. Let me live for you 
all the days of my life. I repent and I believe what the Bible says about you. And so that's important for us. And I would just ask you to examine your heart or really better yet, ask, ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart as we move throughout the morning. Therefore, having put away falsehood, so they see that put off, put away, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. There's the put on. And here's sort of the transformation or the reason for we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this is what we're looking at this morning, verses 29 and 30, as he takes this principle further. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Friends, the church needs more cheerleaders. The church needs more, uh, more exhorters, more encouragers, right? No matter what the, what the score of the game is, right? The cheerleaders are always encouraging the team, no matter how dire it is. Now, they may encourage the team, turn around and roll their eyes and go figure out what they're going to do next. You know, what magic can we pull out to try to, to turn the spirits or get the crowd engaged, which might excite the team, you know? Uh, we're not to, 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 to be cheerleaders in that sense, but we are to be strong encouragers, exhorters, always speaking the truth in love as we seek to build one another up. And so he continues uh, speaking about these specific areas in life that need to be shaped by the good news of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit Uh, who has made us one. He brought together Jew and Gentile. There is one race. There is one race that God has created. So Paul tells us we're to move from tearing down to building up. Now, verse 30 reads almost as as if it's combined with verse 29. And so you might might read it in this sense. Uh, We're to put off corrupt words and thereby grieving the Holy Spirit because of our corrupt words. And we're to put on edifying, encouraging words that are appropriate for the moment. Well, why? In order that we would give grace to everyone who hears since you've been sealed uh, for the day of redemption with what? God's saving grace, right? He's talking about foul talk. He's talking about uh, anything that's, that's, that's unhelpful, that's foul, that's, that's odorous, you might say, that should be, should be eliminated from our speech. He's not just talking about a single word. The goal is not to identify a word that's considered a, a bad word or a foul word. He's, he's speaking about how we speak to one another, right? And so in different translations, you might see the word foul or uh, unwholesome or corrupting or evil, Listen to how this same word is used as, to refer to rotten fruit, rotten, uh, fruit or rotten fish, Matthew 7, 17, and 18. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Are you seeing the picture that, that, that our Lord is laying down for us? As I said at the beginning, we're we're not just to try to change our behavior at a surface level. Anybody can change performance for a period of time. What he's telling us is that if our heart is diseased, in the end, we'll only bear diseased fruit, rotten fruit. Matthew 7, uh, 13, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 47 and 48. Listen how he compares this to the kingdom of heaven, which is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered every 
uh, kind of fish, or fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore, they sat down, and then they sorted the good into containers and then threw away the bad. Any bad speak, foul speak, unhelpful speak, uh, speech is to be thrown away, to be, to be put away, to be done away with it. Well, I can't help it. Not according to God. God says that if you're transformed in your soul and the Spirit of God lives in you, you can help it. That's why he says, the first word of the sentence is, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouths. In other words, stop saying those phrases. Stop speaking in a way that tears down the very body of Christ that he is seeking to build up. And he speaks about this potential harm. Listen how he echoes this in, 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 uh, to the church in Colossae in 3.8. He says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Think about name-calling, trading insult for injury, or insult for insult. First Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but, you see that? Do not do this, put it off, but put on, on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We think about ridicule, think about mockery, blaming, or exaggerating attacks from others. Somebody comes and they say something to me that is, is maybe in my temporary opinion not the most desirable thing that I want to hear. How do I convey that same message to my wife? Do I convey it with the same tone of voice? Do I use the same words as my desire to communicate as honestly and helpfully what this other individual shared with me? Or do I exaggerate to communicate my point? Well, that's unhelpful speech. You may say, well, I'm not attacking that person. No, but you're, you're being dishonest. You're, you're speaking falsehood, which verse 25 last week tells us that we need to be careful not to do. So we need to be cautious not to exaggerate to make things look like it's in our favor. We're not to... Uh, Oh, I don't want to skip this. Don't, don't, uh, don't ever use absolutes. Anybody? Don't ever use absolutes. Don't ever say, you never. Are you always? Unless it's 100% true. complaining, griping. Philippians, Paul tells us, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right? There's destructive criticism and there's constructive criticism. Right? Proverbs 12.18 says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are your words bringing healing to those around you. Now, arguing to the point that your goal is to win the argument rather than to win the relationship by glorifying God. Do you want to win the battle or do you want to win the war? Do you want to win the war for your marriage? Do you want to win the war for your church? 
Or are you more concerned about being right? I can't tell you how often the Lord in His mercy stops me in my tracks. And sometimes in my stubbornness, I try to continue on. And then the Spirit convicts me. Like, oh, I'm so arrogant. I just want to be right. I just want to say, I told you so. I just want to fight for this argument. I just want to fight for this perspective. I just want to argue for what I think seems best. How short-sighted I am. Manipulating gossip or slander. And they're different just because we say, well, it's true. Exactly, that's gossip. If it's not true, it's slander. And the, the Lord says to avoid it all. Profanity, filthy talk, coarse joking. Uh, in just a couple chapters, Paul says, but sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So, so how are we to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? Because so far we're talking about and we're acknowledging these are ways of speaking that Paul comes right out of the gates and he says, don't speak this way. So do we just have a checklist that, well, don't say this, say this instead. Well, possibly. But first, let's talk about the idea of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's important to recognize that our tongues are exceedingly difficult to control, right? It's a fire, James says. Listen, James 3, 6 through 8, he says, and the, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Do you hear this, this uh, hyperbole, this exaggeration to make his point here? It's, it's a world of unrighteousness. So don't think in your minds, oh, I might let some little unrighteousness slip. No, there's a world of it setting ablaze forests of relationships. The tongue is set among the members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So if you leave and all you hear today is, oh, I just need to say, I need to speak nicely. I need to say things that are, are better. Well, you're missing the entire point because that'll last as long as life is easy. As long as life is easy, but when life becomes difficult, which is often, we'll see this, the sparks will quickly burst into a flame. We need to acknowledge that unwholesome talk, it tears down the very body of Christ that God is seeking to build up. And the question we might want to ask ourselves is, what am I insecure about? What am I angry about? What am I jealous for? What am I wounded by? What am I desiring control of? exclusive control of, that I would be willing with unwholesome speech to tear down the body of Christ. How important is it? At the end of the day, if you assume it's that important, we still need to reevaluate because Paul says, don't speak this way. 
Unwholesome talk grieves the Spirit of God who lives within each believer, right? And so we need to agree that our goal of, is, is being image bearers of God, and it should match God's goal to give us grace, which is unmerited favor, favor that we didn't do anything to earn or deserve. It was lavishly given to us by calling out on the name of Jesus, and that is God's goal for every believer through our speech to give unmerited favor, undeserved kindness toward everyone that we interact with. And we need to confess the reality of our sinful thoughts, which, uh, which really are showing their fruit through our speech. The Pharisees and the, scri- uh, and the scribes, they, they challenged Jesus on why the disciples weren't washing their hands. And he had a conversation with them about, it's really not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but, but what comes out of a mouth. And he says in Matthew 15, he says, it's not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then the disciples came to him and they said, do, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when They heard this saying, and he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And and if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. And Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, it passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come murder. Out of the heart comes adultery. Out of the heart comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart comes theft. Out of the heart comes false witness. Out of the heart comes slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands, well, this doesn't defile anyone. Brothers and sisters, the way that we act, make no mistake about it. Mark it down. Every time I said, don't say absolute, absolutes is a revelation of what is of what is transpiring in your heart. And the number of, of, of reasons and justifications or excuses or avoiding ought to be a clue to us how deeply entrenched we are in these belief systems. Okay, so the reason that we're supposed to be doing this is to build up the body of Christ, right? And so if we think about this, our speech, the words that we say, and, and the phrases that we use, the tone of voice, the, the body language, everything that comes uh, in this area of communication will make a huge impact for the gospel, right? It's just like you can tell where somebody's at often from their accent, right? Now, I grew up as an Air Force brat, so I moved around a bunch. I don't really have any... Uh, accent to a local area. Basically, just sound like I'm not from anywhere specifically, right? I have a little Southern in me at times, especially if I get around somebody who's from the South. Forget about it. Uh, Got a little Northwest in me from my days living in Alaska. I've got some Northeast uh, that can come up at some times. So I just basically don't sound like I'm anywhere, right? I guess that makes it easier to be an alien and stranger on this place, but People ought to be able to tell where you're from when you speak. People ought to be able to tell who your king is, the Lord or the devil. The words you use, the tone of voice, the body language, all of these things convey what we're striving to. And so Paul says, but use words that build others up. And this is important. He talks about according to the need. 
use words that build others up according to the need. He's talking about edification. He, he just previously has spoken about how we're to speak, speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4, 12, and 16 in order to display this constructive growth within the body of Christ. And he touches back on this, this idea of need that he did in verse 28, right? we're to stop stealing, but we're to work honestly so that we can give to those in need. Well, we're also to, to be aware of the moment. We're to, to not be self-focused, but others-focused so that we can recognize the need uh, that our, our words, I'm sorry, the need of the moment for the words that we say. So we're to be listening. We're to be paying attention. We're to be listening to what others say or how people are perceiving the circumstances around them And often the need, well, it may not be an answer, but it may just be a question that seeks to understand someone. What's the need of the moment? Years ago, someone introduced, you know, the idea of kind of 3D listening, you know, listening to the person say, really listening to their words, not formulating my response while they're speaking but just really being there and listening to their words. And then paying attention to or or listening to my heart's response. How am I uh, feeling? How am I empathizing with what they're saying? Do I care? And then listen to how the Holy Spirit would be infusing His wisdom into this conversation. If we'll strive to be others-focused, listening to the Lord throughout our conversations, even when we're attacked, the Lord will bear fruitful speech in our lives that will seek to build up the body of Christ. And then the final purpose of it is so that they might give grace to those who hear. And then he speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, we we often don't think of the Holy Spirit as a, as a person or as a, a uh, yeah, as a person. But God has given each Christian the Holy Spirit to indwell them. We are to be image bearers of God, which is why when we attack one another, and you may remember this from our study in Malachi uh, several months ago, when we carelessly, you know, put our wives away or, or mistreat them or, or leave them or that's what he's talking about in Malachi. What are we doing? Well, we're, we're leaving her or him and we're joining with those that worship other gods. We're joining the Spirit to other gods. And here he's saying that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he mediates God's presence uh, to believers, Right? He's the one who, who helps uh, to communicate, to facilitate this relational intimacy with us. Look at, or not look at, but Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says that we're strengthened with power through His Spirit, you might say His Holy Spirit, in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. You see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit working together here. Jesus is grieved when He sees the Jews who were... Um, 
who are suffering. He was grieved in his, in, at the hardness of their heart, Mark 3, 5 says. And then God was grieved. We had an opportunity to go to the ark this week, and it reminded me of a passage that God just gripped me with when I was in college. Uh, Genesis 6, 5 and 6, 6. And the Lord saw that man's wickedness had become great on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. God can use absolutes. And the next verse says, and the Lord was grieved. Some, some translations say repented. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Don't think I'm a Christian, it doesn't matter, I'm forgiven. Because our aim ought to be rather than grieving the Holy Spirit, we are to um, strive to bring joy to the Holy Spirit with our words. Right? All sin is painful. We've all experienced the effects of sin. We've all seen other children sin, but it's more painful when our own kids walk in a way that we have striven to help them see is not helpful for them. We know the disastrous consequences that are coming down the road, and it's painful. It's, it's, it's similarly painful for the Lord to see His children walking in sin. Embracing words that are deconstructive rather than constructive in the way that we speak. To grieve the Holy Spirit would be like letting corrosion build up on your battery. And then you lose the power that is to be had when we try to, to start the car or jump another car. And we can't quite get the good connection. You've got to get out the spray and spray it off and wipe it down and um, all sorts of things in order to be able to get it clean so we can get good contact points. Brothers and sisters, if we are grieving the Holy Spirit, there's an impact to our own lives with that. And men, if we grieve the Holy Spirit in the way that we speak to our wives, the Bible tells us elsewhere, basically, Matt's paraphrase, our prayers are hitting the ceiling. We're to be gentle with our wives. We're to speak to them in a way that's, that's understanding for the sake of your prayers. See, it matters how we speak to one another. That we, can, we can diminish the effective availability of the Holy Spirit's blessing and power in our lives by choosing to walk away from the Lord in how we speak. Paul's basically saying, how, how can we keep doing what's so displeasing to the one that we have been sealed by for the day of redemption? Right, he calls back what he says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Brothers and sisters, our salvation, if you are in Christ, is secured because of God. It's God's work from beginning to end. But we also ought to not be so quick to say, oh yeah, I'm saved and I can live in this way because you may actually prove that you're not saved at all. Your conduct may demonstrate the life of one who's, who's not in Christ, who's not united with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That's how we see the difference between trees that bear good fruit and trees that bear bad fruit. I said at the beginning, we want to be careful not just to focus on actions. Otherwise, what we'll do is we'll take this, uh, this orange that's 
connected to a root system that's, that's alive and, and giving uh, nourishment to the fruit, and we're going to pluck it off, which, by the way, the moment you sever it from an alive tree, the process of death and decay begins. It just takes a little bit for us to see it. And then we staple it on this tree over here that's dead. It can't be sustained because its roots are not sent out to life-giving nourishment, life-giving water. But we staple it on anyway. And what happens? Well, we keep going back and we keep doing it over and over and over again. We need to hear the words that Jesus says to the woman at the well. You should ask of him who gives life-giving water and you'll never thirst again. You won't be constantly looking for new behaviors to grab and staple on and tape on and duct tape on and however you can find it to look like you're playing the game because that's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it leads, it leads to a life of eternal separation from God. But speaking to believers, Paul challenges them and he says, watch how you speak. Don't tear down the unity that God is building up. Don't, don't destroy the things that God is seeking to build. Why? Because we have our sights set on eternity. In a very real sense, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, our prayer, prayer is that God would protect them. And as Jacob prayed this morning, that God would grant them courage to stand in the face of trials. I read a, a post last night, and I'm, I'm not going to quote it all, but just speaking about what Afghan believers are facing this morning. At our time, 11 o'clock last night, Eastern time, it was time for them to get up and start going to church. Knowing, knowing that soldiers are searching house to house, looking for reporters who are ratting them out, and, and Christians that they know are Christians, and threatening pastors. And she said at the, at the end of this extremely uh, well-articulated post, these are the brothers and sisters. I'd be ashamed to stand near in heaven. Because when the temperature is not just right in this room, when the, the music or the song selection isn't just what I think it ought to be, oh my goodness, how I just leave and I just gripe, 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 gripe about the church. I'm just tearing it down. I got my chisel in the mortar and I'm just tearing it out, trying destroying the body of Christ. No, my words aren't that powerful. That's not what God says. Galatians 6, 8, and 9 gives us a, a very true promise. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap uh, from his flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up brothers and sisters, however difficult your circumstance, however tough what you're walking through is, and we're not minimizing any of it. What we're saying is that God has saved you from the fires of hell. He has given you his spirit as a promise that you're able to bear the fruit in the spirit if you just stay attached to the vine. Just stay connected, abiding in Christ rather than trying to seek after the fruit that you know you're supposed to be living. No, no, don't worry about any of that. Just get your Bible, get your face in your word. Take your family to the word. You don't have to be a teacher. 
to read the Bible. You don't even have to be a good reader to say, hey, family, we're going to gather together and we're going to read the word. Honey, would you mind reading these verses? And you can be instantly become a spiritual leader in your family. You say, we must be Coram Dale before the face of God. And when we are, when we are, the words that we have been saturating our minds and our hearts in, the promises that we've been believing from God's word will begin to flow. Imperfectly, for sure. But words, words that give life, words that, words that build others up. If I could just share with you the amount of pain that I, and I know many of you have heard from words that have been spoken. I mean, pick any church, right? Because we're all human and so this happens anywhere. But in families, friends, we need to, we need to put off that which is speech that tears down. But before running just to replace it, get before the Lord. Ask the Lord to examine our hearts. Lord, why am I speaking angry words? Well, I know it's because I'm angry. Why am I angry? Who's, who's hurt me? What, what expectations are different that, that my manipulative anger and fear-mongering is demanding so that I get my way? What, what grief might I have from past circumstances so that I I can hide something in my life that I'm seeking to avoid right now by griping and complaining and always pointing the attention to somebody else who's worse than me. I mean, I could go on. I could give illustrations like this for hours. Probably most of them would come from my own personal life experience, my own heart. Because if you only knew the tape that played in my mind, the conversations that by God's mercy have never been had, right? We always win when we have the conversation in our own heart. You may be hearing this, this truthful word from Scripture, and you may be feeling deeply discouraged right now. Brother and sister, what I want to tell you is that you're never beyond the point of God's grace for forgiveness. Child of God, don't, don't dress yourself up run to your father as a hot mess and throw yourself before the mercy of God and say, Lord, I am, and fill in the blank. And ask the Lord to help you speak grace, to help you give life. Why? In order that God might be glorified. And one day in glory, before the entire universe before humans and before the, the demons and the angels. God will vindicate himself and he will set up his church as his trophy of grace. And he'll say, look what I've done. And for all of eternity, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will praise the one true And we get to start now. 
Heavenly Father, as we consider the message that you've given to us, Father, we pray. We pray that you would help us to search our own hearts, that you would help us search our hearts, that we would that we would understand the, the, the area or areas that you would draw attention to, that we would know that we're not alone, that we're not left to ourselves to fix the way we speak, as we might say, but that you have given us all that we need to trust you, to depend on you, and maybe even in faith, begin speaking words that are others-focused, seeking to build others up. Not so that our life would go easier, but so that we would please you. (laughs) To think that in all of our sin, when what we deserve is your wrath for all of eternity, to, to think that we could bring a smile to your face by striving to honor you with our words. Oh, May it be so. As we take communion together, church, I would just encourage you, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, just to use this time and pray quietly in your seat or come and tap me or any other believer you know here on the shoulder and, and ask any questions that may be on your heart. We'd love nothing more than to talk with you. Christian, you may, you may choose to stand and, and walk to one of the four corners in this room to take communion uh, right away if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you may want to do that right away as we sing. You may want to pause and pray in your chair for a few minutes. You may want to stand and sing with us together for a few minutes before you go to a corner. This would also be a really appropriate time if there's, if there's someone that the Lord is placing on your heart to share an encouraging, edifying word with. This will be a very appropriate time for that as well. Father, thank you for sending your son to give his life on Calvary for us. Continue to build us up as a unified body, seeking your will and your fame above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.